Welcome in, everybody, to this episode of Discard for Magic. As always, I'm your host, Aaron. And I'm James, uh, or Jexic, the other host. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Joe Ellis from Plat Hat Games. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited about this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who don't know Joe, could you just like give us a little background on what you do at Plat Hat? Yeah, I am a CTO, also known as OTO, only technical officer at Plat Hat Games <laughs> for our uh, small staff. Um, and I, I'm also a game developer. Um, so I do everything related to our tech, work on websites, code websites, uh, you know, do a little, I mean, not my expertise, but a little bit of the boring IT stuff uh, too. And, uh, you know, I've, I've gotten to work on Summoner War Second Edition since, since uh, the beginning of it. And I've got to co-design Forgotten Waters, work on our new game Freelancers, I work a little bit on, on everything we do, uh, make all the apps for those games that are, that are app-enabled. So, yeah, um, love, love gaming and especially tabletop games. And so, yeah, I do anything I can to help out here at Plat Hat. Seems like you do a lot. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of things. <laughs> seems like a lot of work. For, seems like a lot of work for one guy, but but you make it happen. Yep, I'm definitely one of those people who uh, wants to pitch in anywhere, uh, any anywhere I can. So that's, you know, I guess you could say some people are more like solids, some people are more like liquids. I'm more like liquids. I'll fill the container. So how did you happen to meet Colby? Did he just, like, find you on the street? Did he just rope you into this? <laughs> I was a, um, a Summoner Wars fan, basically. So uh, I found it on Heroescapers.com. There was an ad for Summoner Wars First Edition way back in the day. Heroescapers was just ending as I was just discovering it. I was just kind of lurking around that site. I wasn't really a part of it. And I, I mean, I just like read the rules and uh, for Summoner Wars and started looking through the original websites, like little card browser. And uh, I was like, I think this is my favorite game. I haven't even played it yet. <laughs> so, yeah, so I, I did a dem some demos or whatever. And I had like a blog I was a part of for Summoner Wars. But basically, I ended up working on freelancing for the to finish um, the Plathead Games website. And like I said, I try to pitch in wherever. So I ended up coming up with all kinds of ideas for features and things and sort of got my hooks into the company that way, where I had built enough things that there was uh, enough full-time work for me to, uh, to work for the company. So um, yeah, Colby's funny. I mean, I, I think I talked to him on a Skype call once or something after he had read our Summoner Wars blog and then he, uh, just uh, my phone number must be on there because then he just called me when he needed a web developer from out of the blue out of that. Uh, so yeah, uh, it's funny. Uh, now we are in Ashland, Ohio, which is where I lived. Um, but I mean, it's really, you know, Colby and, and uh, his wife are both from Ohio and Ashland's sort of, in, you know, 
not too far from where his wife's family was from and things like that. So it's worked out, but you know, uh, I actually am just a fan like you guys come from the fan background, hanging out on the old Summoner Wars forums before, uh, uh, back in the day before all of the modern social media was all that we used. Yeah, I remember being on forums quite a bit for Heroescape and Summoner Wars. Um, so what did you do for work beforehand? Were you a programmer then too, or? Yeah, I I, I was um, like a kid coder. Like I taught myself how to do websites and stuff. And so I ended up being burned out on it by college. And um, so uh, I ended up getting like an English and religion degree, but once I found jobs in marketing and stuff, once again, I like looked to where the need was and ended up picking back up some of those coding skills and getting back into web development and stuff. So I've, I've worked for nonprofits and for uh, Ashland University. I worked for them for a while. Uh, but, you know, event, by the time I went full-time with Plat Hat Games, I was ready to just go full-time freelance and uh, do that stuff. So yeah, I've done marketing and coding and things, but a lot of my coding experience is self-taught because I didn't stick with the major in college, so. Are you a fan of, like, most of Plat Hat's games or just, like, huge Summoners fan? Uh, yeah, yeah, let's see. You know, I don't play them with my game group too often because... Uh, I don't know. It, it's almost a similar reason to why I'm actually not on the Summoner Wars Discord. Because for the things I'm a fan of, like when I'm at game night with my friends, we're going to play a game and we're going to praise it or we're going to trash it. And that's going to be part of the fun of playing it. <laughs> and I mean, even even if we like it, we might trash it. We might laugh at dumb decision choices they made for graphic design or something like that. And it's kind of awkward to like bring you know, like a game I worked on and it's like, oh, people have to sidestep some of those things. And I think it's the same thing for, uh, to a degree. I mean, besides the fact that I don't have time and I'd be getting 10 times as many direct messages if I was on the Discord. Uh, <laughs> but also it's like, yeah, you know what? That's for people to be honest and not have anybody like feel like, you know, we would be being attacked or something because people disagree with us or something like that. Uh, but um, so I don't play too often the new games, probably Starship Samurai and Specter Ops, though. Specter Ops is kind of a golden hidden gem that uh, it doesn't get talked about as much anymore, yeah. but it always That's offers good. a pretty electric experience. The one thing interesting to me is that I saw Emerson's making like a Metal Gear Solid game. I wonder if it's basically Spectre Ops <laughs> re it, redone. <laughs> it is. It is not actually. It is like oh, a no? totally different thing. But you could see how. I mean, you could do that, and I mean, you could do them both. <laughs> it's obvious. You could see the. You could tell that Emerson was a fan of Metal Gear Solid. Yeah, I, I think that's like a fully co-op game. So it's actually pretty different. Um, but yeah, those would be uh, some of my favorites. I'm, I've never played a ton of narrative games, but this, yeah, I do love Starship Samurai and Spectre Ops. 
I don't know, like, anything about Starship Samurai. I played Spectre Ops once or twice, and I thought that was pretty fun. I don't play a ton of, like, hidden movement games, but they always have, uh, like, really electric experiences. Like, my older brother likes to break out Fury of Dracula every Halloween. Yeah, well, well, those, what Spectre Ops has in common with that game, it's a lot more streamlined, of course. But they're both very thematic, whereas most hidden movement games are a little bit abstract, in my opinion. Though both of those games are very much like you are in the role of the person. And it's really fun that way. But uh, Starship Samurai is out of print now, but it was it, it by Isaac Vega. And it's like, have you ever played it, James? It's like I I've not played that one. I remember like seeing the minis and thinking it looked cool, and it was kind of like an area control thing. Is that right? Or it's it's kind of like a really streamlined Eric Lang game. Uh, okay. <laughs> if, if you've ever played like Blood Rage and uh, Rising Sun and things like that, where it's like um, you have areas, yeah, you have areas that technically it's area control, but you're almost like bidding your pieces into it, you know, uh, and it's it's sort of like ends up being a de facto auction. That's how I see a lot of his games that he iterates on and Starship Samurai is that same way. Um, but with, you know, with, of course, just like with an Eric Lane game, lots of little abilities and uh, cool little mechanisms. And then it all ends with a quote unquote battle that, you know, involves totaling up the strength and things like that. Interesting. Okay. Sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. So we just had a couple of tournaments finish up for Summon Wars, and you do a big part of, like, running those. What do you like or dislike about, like, running the tournaments and doing all that? Uh, I really like... Uh, so So back in the day, I think that it was really, honestly, my biggest contribution to Summoner Wars forums 1.0 back in the day was that I... I unless I'm misremembering, I came up with the idea to have these tournaments for the original app and made up HTML tables and started doing it and did the first three or four. And it, I love how that energizes the community, whether you do it from a fan standpoint, like that back in the day, or uh, like the, the league nowadays, or official. Uh, it gives people a reason to pay attention and to discuss and to have sort of current events and to take different people's opinions and sort of mash them together and, you know, the rubber hits the road, but in a way that hopefully is fun and positive for people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, as soon as we had uh, multiple factions going on this new app, I knew I definitely wanted to do that. It's I, I don't like that I can't participate. Uh, and I encourage other staff to participate, which they rarely have. But there are issues with games occasionally that I need to go in and, and work on and fix or settle even a dispute. Like if somebody thinks there was a bug, but I suspect that, I mean, even if they think it was, I'm like, I'm not sure this might have been a misclick and I need to sort of arbitrate and figure out what to do. So yeah, I can't. Colby went in one do before, it. didn't he? Yeah, he went in one. He didn't. He 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 didn't move on or anything. But <laughs> I mean, these tournaments are tough. I I often oh, fail to get past like the first or second round. You know, so I think I've only got one badge for being in the final pool. So yeah, I'll tell you what the I would have never guessed 
how extreme the skill dependency is for Summoner Wars, you know? Like, I really... People always make jokes about, like, the people who make games are often not the best person at them. But really, I mean, I, I under You know, you would think... I understand Summoner Wars really well. Like, for... To see between the rankings that we have now and but also the tournaments and I see people that I know are better than me and now they're faring. I'm like, it's insane. And also how repeated it is. Who is up there in those final pools and how many people have badge after badge after badge. Yeah, like, like Profit and Massimo and stuff or like, yeah. <laughs> I never would have. I, I, it's. I think it's very on the extreme end of what I ever would have imagined as far as how reliably people can get up there because you know you're drawing cards and you're rolling dice and obviously you know I think a lot of them would say at the end of the day in a final or something somebody gets lucky or unlucky but like you just can't deny. So in a, in a single game that can still be true, right? But these tournaments and the rankings and the league all kind of demonstrate it really well, how much skill people have. Yeah. And Colby had an interesting theory about the dice that I hadn't really considered till he brought it up. He thinks the fact that you, the attack values and numbers are higher now that that might reduce the variance in games just because you're rolling more dice for every attack than you used to in first edition, you know, I mean, to give like a simple example, like the carrier now for the undead, the Fallen Kingdom rolls two dice, and in the first edition rolled one die, and like right. you're more reliably getting infects and other abilities that require some level of luck, you know. Um, yeah, I th I think that's fair because even with range that doesn't hit anymore, that yeah, you're just rolling more dice, so the percentage hit right is gonna. Well, the percentage hit. Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's. A... <laughs> But yeah, I mean, like Colby said it, and I wasn't sure, and I yeah, it was just something I thought about. But yeah, I need to ask a professional mathematician. I guess <laughs> not one of us lay lay mathematicians. I mean, the more uh, you do an outcome, you should get closer to the actual probability, right? Right, for sure, for sure. But you know, a tournament is very few games. That's the crazy thing. Yeah, like I can I can understand the overall the season rankings more. Um, but uh, you know, a tournament, yeah, it's now you do get a nice even spread, you know, against a lot of different people and things. But it's it's crazy how much the same people pop up in those. So, and you even take a look at like the uh, fan driven league, and for I don't know what was it like the first ten seasons, Donkey won seven of them or something or six of them. <laughs> And like, and, and Orange Lazarus was the the runner up for half of those. <laughs> yeah, and then Orange Lazarus won like three of the other like four. Is like those two just dominated for the longest time. Massimo won a couple, and then I think Snell won one. But yeah, it, and you know this is still with a with a very small pool too um, of players. Relatively, you know, I I think that you know, once we have more um, venues, you know, native apps and, and desktop apps and stuff like that, that, you know, we could grow the player base quite a lot. Um, and it could even grow more extreme, right? The Like the people who we consistently see at the top, you know, 20 or so people, that could be sort of the A tier of 
a hundred people, you know, and then there's another S tier above that. So well, you start giving badges <laughs> for more than top 10 then? Cause it's going to be so hard to get to the top 10. <laughs> yeah. We need to look at that. I do. I do think that traditional sort of, you know, achievement badges will need to come into play eventually, but it's hard to move to the top of the pri- priority list. But yeah, those are, there's a lot of badges that are pretty elite. So do you have like a knowledge of how many active players there are? Because I know, James, at one point you did like your own calculations. I did some, I did some rough math because my because like when I was like really close to the top twenty five, I was like, oh, I'm like one point off the top twenty five. So la- this was like first season. I was like, oh, so the, there must be about three hundred and fifty active players on the in the ranked mode. And I think it's a little higher this season. I would guess four hundred or five hundred, but that's just my guess. Yeah. I think I've only run stats on like games per day or different players per day. And I think we were um, close to a hundred players per day shortly after the first season launched. I have to, Uh I have to like get out data and run. I don't have all that stuff automated. So I need to go back and like do it to look again. But I mean, that sounds about right. Uh, You know, which we have a potential pool that's bigger, but a lot of, you know, a lot of the, 2,000 or so people with full access are full subscribers, and they might not, you know... They might not be playing ranked mode, yeah. Well, well, what I was going to say is they're getting stuff in the mail. You know, Summonors Online is a side benefit that they might not be taking advantage of at all. Yeah, I'm on the other side of it. I've just recently started to play more physical. Um, but So I really appreciate all the work that you've been putting in. We were wondering too. Uh, so, like the couple tournaments just finished up. We uh, did. Did you? Do you think we'll do another deck building tournament similar to the one we just ran? Or, yeah, um, yes, I want to for sure. I, I've been holding off again for a couple of weeks just to give myself some room. Like the tournaments don't take up that much of my time, but it is one thing that I can choose to put off while I have a bunch of tasks to do, so that I could try to get stuff on these native apps done. Um, so I've I've delayed starting a new one, but I want to yeah I want to start the next deck building tournament next before the next uh, base deck tournament just to see if that encourages people to join in. You know, people aren't in the middle of another tournament that they advanced in or anything like that. Um, but I as far as the format, like it's definitely the simplest, the mo- the easiest to understand to just take one deck and go crazy with it. Yeah. What but but as both as both of you guys being fans of custom deck stuff, what is your opinion on that? Do you have a thought on uh I think custom I might deck have deck tournaments? This might have been what I suggested, so I think I like this for custom deck. <laughs> so Yeah, I mean, it's it's just um it's a lot more comparable to, you know, your Magic the Gathering Ashes Netrunner sort of style right so it's well, like we kind of like the fact that mirror matches could happen in the which we're wondering if in the deck building pool even on ranked it could happen oh that's interesting yeah yeah we because kinda, people play the oh, decks wow. differently so even if you have tundra orcs versus tundra orcs we're not gonna have the same deck you know yeah 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 that would be something to try i mean that's that's a little one line change and also the only thing the other thing about that is it could maybe decrease wait times because like sometimes i might be in there like right. maybe there's three guys trying to play tundra orcs or whatever and then (laughs) (laughs) 
And then, yeah, and then the, other people get swamped by it when they try to play, and then you know they they go and write you an angry letter, you know. So <laughs> I I that is true. I have gotten angry letters from <laughs> people <laughs> losing to Rub, and I'm like, I don't know. James was kind of right, like as far as their performance in the tournament, like they weren't anything different. I mean, it's hard not to watch that final of yours, Aaron, and see what happened with Cave Goblins and. And and think and that rub is the problem, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I I got a bone to pick. How come there's been no complaints about the cave goblins? <laughs> you know what? The cave goblins are immune to complaints. They have been consistently strong. Obviously, I mean, you proved it in custom deck, but also in base decks. Nobody, you know, everybody is always more worried about Savannah elves and fungal doors before we changed them and. Uh, everything like that. So, so you're saying Cave Goblins have been consistently strong in in like the general pool? Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, no, almost nobody complains about them in tournaments and stuff. I feel like people just know what to expect from Cave Goblins. Like they're very consistent. They're not like sometimes you get the the big flashy plays, but a lot of times it's just like you're overrun by a horde of goblins. I've been playing them a lot in open queue lately, and doing pretty well with them. Until like the last couple of days, like I was number three on the the bracket for a bit, uh, you know the 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 ladder, and it was mostly playing cave goblins. And then I had a few bad losses, and now I'm not there anymore. But they're pretty strong, I think, or they can de- certainly like sneak some wins against some of the better factions or the supposedly better factions. And I think they're just maybe hard to defend against and just can win games. Yeah, I think that they don't tend to. Um... You know, one reason people might dislike the fungal dwarves beating them, or you know, something that people complain about now that's strong is uh, Mega Gate from Sand Goblins and the picking up a big ten life wounded gate for the Shadow Elves, like things that kind of feel unfair. The fungal dwarves can feel very unfair when you're losing to them. <laughs> They're kind of on the knife's edge of looking like infinite. Whereas, yeah, the cave goblins, you're kind of like, hey, I'm getting all this magic. I'm doing great. And you still lost. But And you're like, well, I made a mistake. I should have caught, <laughs> I should have I stopped him from doing that. But I can see why that happened, you know. And then you're like, you don't feel bad about losing the cave goblins. Yeah. And meanwhile, you got to do probably a bunch of stuff that you meant to do going in because you had all this extra magic and stuff like that. So, but, you know, that escape ability is so ultra powerful by sneaks that uh it makes it makes a lot of sense yeah his stats are pretty low i mean i mean his his raw physical stats the three three strength and 11 life are kind of low for a melee summoner but yeah the ability to just pick up and move anytime is really powerful (laughs) now i i'm curious like maybe you guys have even already talked about this but like with these toward with having that first custom deck tournament is Summoner Wars custom games what you want them to be? Because I had the sense even before the tournament from when I had played a lot during season one that like, oh, it's definitely more volatile and a more dangerous game to be playing as far as risk to your summoner. And um, but at the same time, you know, even like with our own other game, Ashes, we've had situations where in that game that have been difficult to overcome and it's common in those games where the opposite is often true where it becomes the most efficient decks are all slogs 
you know, uh, and that was the case with the first edition of Ashes with the unit called the Three-Eyed Owl and the mess it would make. <laughs> uh, so, so what do you guys think? I think there's a good mix. Uh, I mean, like, we were kind of talking, I was talking, because uh, another person I do a lot of deck building with was uh, Purse Warden, and we both kind of felt that, like, a lot of the good decks have ways to kill you quickly and that it can, can be flashy, but that's not really the whole deck, you know? It's like, you kind of, like, moving around and getting to position to use your kill, but it's not necessarily the whole game revolving around it, if that makes any sense. Like, you kind of have to get an advantage, like a normal game of Summoner Wars, in order to get into position to do it. Now, obviously, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. we saw in the final, like, Aaron got a, a great setup for Brutal Force that looked like, you know, you know, Shampoo wasn't in the worst position, and he had Sanctity <laughs> up. He thought he was okay. But, like, uh, but if you watch a lot of other games, they're, they go to time, or not to time, they go, they go to time, they go to, the, they go to turns, they go through the deck. Like, it's not just these explosive matches every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, I mean, Shampoo was running uh, the vanguards, and he had long games. And you know, he his deck could not kill you in an explosive manner, and he won. He went fourteen and two before that game against the Cave Goblin. So, oh yeah, and I know Nick is a big believer, our developer, in uh, that vanguards style for custom deck, uh, and I can see why. And like the Fungal Dwarves and Shadow Elves both can have really long games too, but they also have ways to kill you with demand and other stuff, but. And even like my Brub deck, I I've kind of like shifted to playing things like Drudgers to try to survive longer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like just to prevent myself from getting you know one turn killed myself. So the game kind of just evolves around that, I think. But you you still have, like, and the thing with Brub or these other things, you might not draw it. You, you know, you might not draw Brutal Force. You might not draw Brutal Force at a time when it's good. You right. kind of have to hold on to the time to use it. You know. Yeah, and that, that's why I like the one deck to rule them all format because it yeah it's much more like a conventional two player game where you can sort of have if if there is a deck that is performing really well you can build something to counter that deck mm-hmm. you know and yeah you can de- you can depend on getting that matchup whereas if you if you build even two or three decks you might just get unlucky with the deck matchups you know yeah I mean I I think. For deck building tournaments, I'd pref- I I like the format that we have, and also it's like less. I think it's less overhead to try to think of all the different decks, you know, because I think that like if you had to like submit four decks that were all different, I think that'd be a higher <laughs> a, a higher barrier to entry, you know. <laughs> yeah, th- that's an interesting comparison to base deck Summoner Wars and how it's there's counterintuitive things where because it's pick up and play and like just pull the deck out of its packet and play it. It seems the like the most approachable and I guess it is for casual play, but like in a tournament it's almost harder for a new player to approach the base deck tournaments because you have to know, you have to have an idea about, you know, as of next week all 20 decks in yeah. the game and what all the threats of them are. And even Whereas if you're bringing for... four decks, that's like 76 matchups you could be walking yeah. into. You know? yeah. like... <laughs> Whereas a custom deck tournament is much more like, okay, well, if I learn the the three to five most popular archetypes of what I might see, that's going to get, that's not going to cover every game I play, but 
that's gonna that's gonna cover a lot of them. Uh, kind of hot take for the deck building. I feel safer playing deck building than playing normal decks. I think with my summoner. Okay. Because some of the decks, like there's, I think just a couple of main like mindsets in the deck building realm right now. And there's like the decks that want to outlast you, like the polar dwarves or the sand goblins have, or the cloaks because flocks can copy anything, have decks that'll recur ice golems and rust riders and all sorts of structures. And then there's like the Vanguard decks and the fungal dwarf decks that'll last a long time with just their normal mechanisms. And then there's like those big hitting decks with like Brub and Cave Goblins and like Shadow Elves that can really hit you pretty hard. But like most of the time, it's like, at least with like Tundra Orcs or with like the Shadow Elves, it's usually pretty predictable, I find. Um, Gotcha. Yeah, and it's not about the, um, it's, it, I definitely agree in that it's, it's not usually about like the surprise shock of what the deck's capable of. Like, I can't believe you put that in the deck when it, even when it is, you know, a lot of damage output, it's, it's a little bit more just like the power of the combos that are possible. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely higher power, but so the defenses are higher power too. But you bring up another good point, which is that, Early on in the tournament, some people were like scouting the after the first week to see what the other people in the pool had. And I saw that after the tournament, we all noticed that you decided to just make it so you can see what people's decks are in custom. Do you think that was inspired by that in the tournament? Where people, where you kind of think like, we just have to make a choice here whether decks are going to be open or not? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it was the final nail on the coffin. Colby had suggested that in the past. Um... And I was kind of on the fence with it just from, you know, just from a standpoint of that's sort of the, you know, the positive is it's fun to have a surprise, but yeah, the way the tournaments work, you know, you're just forcing people to do a sort of a lot of busy work, like going through the games and (laughs) going frame by frame, looking for all the cards and things, Uh, you know, to, to get like this small advantage. And uh, yeah, it, it it really shouldn't be necessary. So yeah, uh, that was sort of the nail in the coffin to say like, yeah, that's I don't think Summoner Wars because of especially because of the way it's played online. Now, if we did that in person, I suppose that wouldn't be the case. You know, for if we did a custom uh, in person tournament, you know, maybe not. Or, or you could just submit your online. deck list, and then people can know. You know, but for the online, I think a lot. I think it's going to make it more approachable as a format, which is what I kind of want, just more people playing it. Because like you, you've kind of said before, it's like, you know, one-tenth is popular probably, right? Yeah, yep, about about that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, it's... I, I'll tell you what, before we started the ranked play, I wasn't even... I didn't have a full understanding of just how much they needed to be different formats, you know, and once once I started playing ranked play, both of them in season one, I was like, okay, yes. I'm glad we went this direction. And that's now I understand why all that's what all the fans were wanting because it is it is too different. It's two very different formats. 
But like you said, like I, I like I said, I think custom deck can be the more approachable one in a sense of you know wanting to get really good at it and knowing what's out there. There there have been a few players that have come up come up that uh, basically only play custom, and they just kind of jumped in there probably because they played other card games or something that just seemed more natural to them. But um, it's been nice seeing that, and they, they've done well. And so it's cool well, to see. handed me uh, my only loss in the tournament. Yeah, like nice. Turtle Turtle Freak has like, he had like a 800 ELO in base deck because this last se- second season, I think he just did not play, or they yeah, yeah, did, yeah. did not play uh, their diamond, but their 800 ELO because they didn't play base deck. But, you know, gave gave Aaron his only loss, and you know, did really well, did better than I did with the Tundra Orcs with a different sort of take on it. So, um, and also there was a player last season named KCH who was playing a ton too with like sand goblins and other stuff. But, um, yeah, so sometimes, and I think that's how I first came across Porse Warden was a deck building game too. So now, um, can, now I, I have very little experience in other competitive, customizable two player games. What is you guys's? It, it, the, and to me, it's all, and always an interesting thing to compare Summoner Wars. It's as far as like, is it is it in its own category or does it belong with those other games? What is you guys' history with, you know, Magic the Gathering and those sorts of... You guys have long histories playing those games? I do. Um, yeah, I mean, I've played Magic since like the mid-90s with 4th edition and I've gone on, on and off with it. I didn't necessarily play like at a really high competitive level because I was like ten years old, so like I wasn't really, you know, able to like buy all the cards and play that well, you know. But um, and then I kind of would play like standard. Like the thing about Magic is now it's got so many different formats, and the most popular the most popular format is not competitive. It's like it's it's a four player format they call Commander that used to be called EDH, which is like more of a social like i'm going to show you what my deck does and then we'll see what happens you know um, right right and i think that's interesting and it's it's how how it's shifted um and i play that still sometimes uh, i played warhammer but never like in a store just like with my friends like the form of 40k for a bit and obviously i played a ton of heroescape i don't know it like summoner wars was kind of an evolution of me playing heroescape and heroescape was me like liking that you didn't have to paint the miniatures because that wasn't the part i was interested in warhammer you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> and like and even now like miniatures to me aren't a part of a game that i feel like i need to have i i just want to get to the game you know and it was same thing i played x-wing for a bit and i liked that but again i never played in tournaments because i just didn't have the time at that point in my life to like really devote to playing in tournaments but i love the spatial component in a game so that's what's what x-wing had that something like magic doesn't and summon wars also has but in a more abstracted way so i've played i've been playing these all <laughs> my life and summon wars is my favorite one i guess is the answer to that question well i just see and i i know you've you know given plenty of demos for summoner wars uh over the years too james like it's it does bounce off Sometimes I notice some of the people it bounces off a lot of are like people who've played a lot of magic and things like that. And I, I think when it does that bounce off of them, you know, I think that that particular person doesn't probably didn't get, you know, what makes Summoner Wars deep and interesting. 
but also they it's also not offering them something that like magic and those kinds of games even ashes and stuff offer people and that is whenever we've tried to put it in summoner wars nobody has liked it there like in play testing that's more maybe economic in nature you know i think second edition has really very 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 few cards that just manipulate magic directly you know mm -hmm. yeah like um, magic drain and stuff like that yeah yeah and whereas in other games that's a lot of that's one of your main levers you know is economics and and card you know this the the rate of gaining cards and things like that but it, it just makes me think like why is summoner wars different is it a really as fundamentally a different kind of game where that isn't exactly where the fun is you know I think the spatial components really what separates it and also makes it a type of game that some people who might like magic might not like at all. Like I, it's closer to maybe something like shining force or final fantasy tactics or front mission or some of those kind of games or like into the breach, all these like grid based yeah. moving your guys around pushing stuff, you know, <laughs> like, so it's hard or even like a, or fire emblem or something like that. The only thing is almost all these games I just mentioned are single player games. So even if yeah. you like that kind of game and that's like a, a, a niche you enjoy, uh, I've run across some people who just don't want to play something competitive and they kind of like, you could, you know, because people are afraid to lose or afraid to um, look like they're not making, you know, like, so it's, it's almost like you have to get people that would also be into chess or something like that. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's what, that's what we're trying to figure out too with this cast is like, getting people because we want to grow the the community or like give people a place to point when they say like well where can i learn more what you know what's right. going on with this and it's like well these guys have this these other people are doing you know uh the live streams and stuff like that and that's kind of like the background where i come from i didn't play a lot of like two-player like magic type games i dabbled a little bit in Crossmaster for a while, which uh, has died twice now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I haven't even heard of that. Uh, it was by Japanime a while back. I actually at Origins one year when oh, I caught with a K Crossmaster Arena. Yeah, or whatever. Yep, yeah, Crossmaster Arena. I uh, demoed it for Japanime. They wrote me in like the first day to demo all all con for them, so I did that. But that's more similar to like uh, Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem, which I grew up loving both of those games a lot. And so that's how I came into it. I played a little bit of Ashes. I played a little bit of some of those other games, but I never, I played Magic like once or twice, never really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, the part I still enjoy about Magic is like creating decks and stuff. I think like that outlet, that creative ability to make new decks and do stuff like that. So. I think, like, I used to think that I was a spike, according to the Magic thing, which is, like, a tournament player that wants to win, you know. But I realize now, or may have just changed as I've aged, uh, to be more of a Johnny, which is someone who just wants to create a deck and, and you know, have fun in that space of making new things and, 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 and finding new combos and stuff like that to, to get into. So that's, so that's why I like the deck building side of things. Yeah, I the guys who do uh, I'm a big Twilight Imperium fan. There's a podcast for that game, and the guy the guys who do that podcast used an analogy uh, for the factions in that game that would it's similar to the 
Spike Johnny kind of thing where it's uh, what kind of uh, car you like to drive. Do you like to drive a car that's really runs smooth and clean and then therefore you can sort of do it no matter what you do, it's going to work and you can really rely on it? Or is it the satisfaction of, yeah, it's kind of a junker, but hey, if I tune it just right and do everything just right, it's really going to, you know, it's going to be a fixer-upper, but it's really going to be nice. And of, of course, in Twilight Imperium, the bat, the power levels are, you know, all over the place because they can be because, you know, it's a very political game. But it's, yeah, that's a little comparable for me, not necessarily power level, but it's like, I want to play a deck where I'm going to have to work for it, you know, and put put things together. I don't want the one that's just going to, automatically give me a good opportunity to roll a bunch of dice at a summoner. I want to have to uh, plan and uh, get combos and hit that ceiling based on that skill level. So you're a Fallen Kingdom player? Is that what you're saying? Definitely. (laughs) I mean, I definitely am, yeah. (laughs) I mean, that was my first deck that I loved. (laughs) Fallen Kingdom's combos in 2nd edition are so wonderful. Yeah, I, I I agree. They are they are wacky and explosive, and you never would have think, thought that Fallen Kingdom would be uh, explosive, but can be... Once I... They, they were, I think, the third or fourth faction I coded, and it wasn't till... I mean, this was before the Master Shit even came out, and like... It wasn't until they were coded and you started getting prompted with every use of the uh, Undead Archer's ability. You saw how good it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was like, oh, yeah, like six times a turn I'm being prompted <laughs> to use this thing. I was hard, you know, which you hardly notice in real life. So, One question we did want to ask you, though, um, and I'm sure you get asked all the time is like a time uh, like a timeline or like what's going to happen when it uh, go we do have a native steam app or the phone apps and stuff like that um do you have like a timeline on that or do you know like what's going to change like if we all have subscriptions or our decks are those going to be ported over to the new um format well for sure yeah like so so the the app that i'm working on for all of those things android ios windows and mac uh, at this point, iOS and Android are going to come first. And uh, for all of those, they're all using the same code base and will look like the website, <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> uh, it'll be familiar, but it's not going to be any flashier, you know, um, than it than it, it, it's already unflashy self. Um, and so it's very much the same game. And for sure, yes, you will be able to access all your stuff uh, you know, in a phone app or on a desktop app. I'm still figuring out if someone who buys in an app store a faction, if that will be sort of stuck with that device or if they'll be able to sort of somehow attach that to their user account as a whole. I'm not sure, but that doesn't affect anyone's current, you know, as of this moment, that doesn't affect any purchases anybody's made so far you know you'll be able to to uh one click tap log in and you know 
if it's the or or you or do a manual login if you want even on the apps with your plat games account and uh, you'll have access to everything it'll be like one account for sure and one experience really same same app that you're using now it's really more about the marketplace um and uh you know i i wrote a blog post about it last week like i've seen it myself when i tell friends and family like oh yeah you can actually you know people go yeah yeah i need to buy summoner wars i really need to try that out i'm like well you could just try it right now if you want go to summonersonline.com but it's not my phone (laughs) (laughs) yeah like their eyes kind of glaze over like people don't understand it just doesn't make sense to them to go to a website to play a game and even now the tricky like tricky thing at first i think now i'm used to it now just like having to like copy a link to send a game to somebody is mm-hmm. not the most elegant way to do it you know right, but it right, works right. It, it works but it's like you know it's not like having a friends list in a game and just clicking a button and having the game start yes this is this is true but i but i i don't know any 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 way i could stay away from any kind of profile community management role is is helpful (laughs) is what is what i'll say as far as that goes but i think sometimes it's just difficult for people who are used to the like board games to just transition because i have two brothers who like love summoner wars and we grew up playing first edition together and we shared an app account for a little bit and played a bit on the app for first edition but then when second edition came around, they both were like super excited about it. They both played with me in person. One of them owns it also. Um, but I can't get either of them to actually play with me on the app. And we don't live close enough that we play super often in person. And it just feels like a struggle sometimes. Like, like just try out the app just like a little bit. Like it's it worked great. Like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that, I mean, it's not just that reaction, but the, I mean, it's characteristic of, it's just, just also where people discover games, you know, uh, even even my kid, you know, is already, who's in kindergarten is being trained to go on and look for games in the iOS store and things like that. It's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's how it works. Like, uh, so, you know, we're very hopeful it's free to it's going to be free to play so we hope we can get a ton of downloads and a ton of people trying it out so yeah i mean anything to broaden the user base we're we're excited about i think yeah i mean also when you think about payment is the other thing like i mean it's kind of a pain to put, to to pay for like a subscription on platheadgames.com that's just the reality i mean it's a pain anywhere that's not like amazon or ebay or somewhere where you buy a bunch of different things but an app store is a is similar to those where it's like everybody's payment info is already set up and they're used to buying stuff on there and they just do it when they feel like it. You know, they don't have any other considerations to make. So, so a lot, a lot of possible positive, uh, you know, synergies by, by uh, releasing there. As far as the timeline, I, I don't know. I'm doing it as fast as I can. Like I said, anything that, you know, if there's a issue on our marketing website or any, you know, it's, that's all stuff I have to work on when we do the subscriptions and there's always, you know, going to be the three to 5% have some kind of issue 
customer service issue we have to deal with. I got to be on that too, you know. Um, so uh, we are getting a lot closer. And I mean, I, I, but I don't want to put any dates on it <laughs> because, you know, I have no idea. It could be early or late. Has Plat Hat ever thought of helping you out with another coder or is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we would like to do that eventually. We actually are working with somebody on uh, a freelancer for a project just starting this week. That is a new project, you know, that has to do with marketing and stuff. So, you know, hopefully that goes well. But, you know, hey, if Summoner Wars gets released on these native apps and we can sell more stuff through those, that would help too. So, <laughs> every it's not just me. Everybody at Planet Games is working super hard and could use some more help. So, <laughs> we had another silly question. We noticed that uh, a little while ago, I think around when the season started, it only shows the last thousand games that you've played, which is only a problem for a pretty small percent of the user base. But we'll... <laughs> it's only a problem for the users with a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but what was that just to like save you time or like, I don't know, or not time, but like, is that a data thing or? Yeah, it was kind of a data thing. You know, I should paginate it. That would be the word to, um, you know, where, yes, I only load, fi load 500, but if you're willing to scroll and click and scroll and click and scroll and click, then you can see everything. Because uh, I'm just curious, how, like, how many, like, you know who who's played the most or how yes. much? Yes, so you guys sent me that, so I put that in. Uh, and it's pretty incredible. Um, there's about 100 players who have over 500 games. Okay. Um, and... Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if it would be kosher for me to say. So, so if you, if you put the players into tiers as far as how much they play, the S tier has two people in it, and they are way above. So, James, you are actually number six. Okay. <laughs> uh, that is with two thousand four hundred eight games. I thought I was over two thousand. That was my guess, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'm over um, 2,000. Uh, yeah, let's see. Where, yeah, you're you are not over 2,000. You're at 1412 as of today, uh, Aaron. Anyway, you're not that far away, James, from being third. You know, a couple hundred or whatever. The top the the top two players are at 3,600. Uh, actually, they're very close. They're within 10 games. They're with they're around 3,600. But uh, yeah, I won't. I don't know if they care. But I mean. 90% chance that they don't that, that they don't care or that they would like to it'd be funny for them to hear it but <laughs> but just in case I won't say I don't know I don't I don't know if it's guessable if you guys could tell I I my <laughs> guesses would be I mean you but I don't know I'd guess Water D and Doug but I don't know or profit might be up there Yep none nope none of them so <laughs> somebody else now, this is not, of course, ranked game. This is all time, so of course it's oh. not just ranked game. So that it's also, I mean, for all I know, these guys, I mean, these guys are people in the Summer Wars community, but but maybe maybe they know each other and they play each other ten times a day. I don't know. Oh, maybe. Well, yeah. the other guest I have is Snaug because Snaug, when we were pretty early in, had was telling me 
that he had like 300 games with vanguards alone so <laughs> hmm interesting <laughs> <laughs> well, well we'll leave it with that <laughs> um but yeah it's 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 funny that there's two players and then it's literally another that are 800 games ahead of anybody else and then and then it sort of is your as you would expect your sort of bell curve as you get down closer to 500 there's more and more people <laughs> cuz i was just losing data cuz i knew i'd played certain people a long time ago and i can't even look at my record against them anymore so it's just interesting but yeah oh yeah because it Hmm, because like i played because yeah, i played them in like my first thousand games so it's like i don't know how well i've played against donkey anymore because i haven't played him recently you know what i mean yeah 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 yes that's part of the issue so the filtering is on the front end uh but i mean it's, so not, it's but again raw games. It's, like you said it's only it's only <laughs> there's less than a hundred of us that really care about this and probably even less than that that actually Probably cares. That. Yeah, it looks so like a... there's 41 <laughs> people that this currently applies to. <laughs> but I have a feeling at least like 10 of those are listening to this podcast when it comes out. So. <laughs> right. At least it's one, of those, it's one of those things where I'm like, when, I, when somebody asks me, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. I should do pagination or something. And then when I go to code it, I'm like, oh yeah, that's why I did it. Because of this complex problem that emerges from it. So. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's not like a big thing, but it was, we were just curious what it was, and yeah, okay. Jacksick's gonna continue to cry himself to sleep at night. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Fourteen hundred lost games. <laughs> then anything else like from the stats that are surprising you? Because like you said, cave gob, or it might be surprising to us. You said cave goblins have been consistently strong. Yeah, they looks like they are number one this season in general play at fifty five percent. So, um, but uh, I'll, I'll have to post the the stats maybe when you guys post. Okay. This this yeah. episode or something like that. Yeah, but, that'd be awesome. You know, I don't know the maybe because of the player base um, growing or or more people playing more reliably since we started ranked play. It's the general stats have maybe gotten less interesting. They've homogenized a little bit. Um, I mean, in some ways it's good because it makes us look like uh, we did a better job, but really it's, you know, the more players you get, probably the more average it is and, like, the more the skill matters more than the matchup or whatever. Uh because, yeah, definitely for general win percentages, it's not that interesting. But then I also brought up, I brought up the matchup stats. I thought maybe it'd be interesting to, to try this if I name a faction, see if you guys can guess their best and worst matchup right now, which, once again, it's imperfect. It's general play. Maybe after the season is fully over, I could take everybody who earned diamond or something in the season and try to find games between them or the top 20 of each faction and find their game. You know, it'd be interesting to try to quantify the real high level play, but, but let's say, for example, if we take the new factions for, so the high elves who are 51% overall, which like, I mean, most of the factions are something like that. <laughs> Uh, if you had to guess 
who they lose to the most, what would you say? Like the most games or like lowest percentage percentage? wise? Okay, because I was going to say most games is probably Swamp Forks because they played them the most. Yeah, yeah, good point. (laughs) What is their their, uh, worst win ratio? Sand Goblins? Oh, yeah, I'd guess Sand Goblins because of the pinging. It is not, although pinging was a good instinct because Phoenix it is elves. The Phoenix elves. Yeah, yeah. that was going to be my next guess. <laughs> I think their, I think their best matchup might be the Cave Goblins, despite them having a high win rate. Uh, let me see. I mean, they do have a just a fifty-one percent against Cave Goblins, which is always good. But let me. Yeah. Oh, wow! It is actually, huh? It is Savannah Elves. They're the best Ooh. win rate against Savannah Elves. Savannah Elves only win 41% against High Elves. Wow. wow. I wouldn't have guessed that. That is not what I would have gone with. High Elves new meta, guys. <laughs> <laughs> the larger pool has made these matchups more interesting. So I'll definitely post this when you guys post the episode too. Because, you know, at one point, the Savannah Elves hardly had like a quote unquote bad matchup. But, but, well, let's just take them for an example, though, since they're mentioned. So, well, now I think High Elves are their worst matchup. (laughs) It might be. So, yeah, let's see. It, uh, uh, huh. Cave Goblin was my other. No, they actually have a worse matchup. And it is it's an interesting one actually because this this faction is slightly below fifty percent overall. Ooh. Shadow elves. Uh, it is not. Shadow elves actually only win forty four percent against Savannah elves. It is the Wayfarers. Oh, that makes oh. sense. Wayfarers are one of the worst matchups. Makes sense. They, yeah, they win sixty point eight percent against Savannah elves. Yeah, because the just the low health and he doesn't have very good escape mechanisms. That makes sense. The funny thing is, Savannah Elves are very easy to beat, but only a few factions can do what's necessary to beat them, and that is <laughs> rush them real fast and make sure they can't build anything up. Yeah, I was asking recently on the Discord, I think like Skyspear Avians are decent against the Savannah Elves, too. Uh, yeah, they win uh, almost 55%, 54.9. So yeah, that's interesting. Uh, definitely those are the ones now okay but before i forget we should look at swamp orcs and see the other new ones who do you think wins the most against swamp orcs who the swamp orcs have the most trouble with tundra orcs Uh, aaron you gotta guess i don't think it's tundra orcs i'm gonna say maybe shadow elves it is actually just cave goblins (laughs) cave goblins yeah now, Shadow Elves, I know they're um, all, all the rage, but they are, they're just 49% overall this season. Like, you know, this is, this is all general play, of course. We've got to remember that. But yeah, Cave Goblins, I don't know how... Uh, it's not like the, the Cave Goblins are the worst matchup for tons of these uh, factions, but... Um, Their best matchup, is it Fungal Dwarves? Uh, Their best matchup, best matchup. No, and this is a really extreme one. I, I wonder if I wonder what the total number of games is because at that this point that could be a factor. It's actually breakers. I, I was gonna uh, guess breakers actually. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sixty-four percent they win against the Breakers. Well, I bet I, I mean I was mostly going to guess it because you t- started talking about them not being played as much. And I was saying, oh, Breakers probably aren't played that much. So yeah, <laughs> just because they're not the new kid on the block, they were the. F- first faction you know right yeah it's, it was them versus cave goblins just for our demo when we launched everything so now from what i could see the most lopsided matchup in the game is a cave goblins matchup and i would not have guessed this for who it's against a lot of people are saying wayfarers uh yeah they they do pretty good there they're 56 percent versus wayfarers <laughs> But they have 73% versus somebody. And I'm sure this is not an uncommon matchup. Because both because this other faction is also very popular. <laughs> um, is it Cloaks? Fallen Kingdom? It is not Cloaks or Fallen Kingdom. It is actually the Sand Goblins. Oh! Uh-oh. 73% win against the Goblins for the Kings. I would not have suspected that. Yeah, because I think in the league it was pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is there. Because <laughs> I thought it was, because I remember saying before they played in the league that Cave Goblins were going to win it, and then they didn't. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, and this is, you also never know, there could be a married couple somewhere that just plays the same matchup you know, every <laughs> single day, you know. <laughs> That like it, the games aren't. It's fun to have enough numbers for some data, but you know, they could still be susceptible to some kind of effect like that. That is uh, <laughs> currently the worst matchup for Cave Goblins based off the league. So interesting. That's kind of wild. Yeah, according to this, their worst matchup might be Fallen Kingdom. I think that's their second worst on the league. Yeah, they're only thirty nine percent versus the Fallen Kingdom. So, huh. that and all these numbers that I'm saying are season, season three. Oh, right, sorry, season two. Season two. <laughs> okay, so that's all. We're going into the future, everybody. <laughs> these are from the the next season. <laughs> yeah, this is we've already got it all planned out. Speaking of season three, we're we're all really hyped for Mountain Vargath and crimson order yeah oh man gonna yeah, be good me too. me too uh you know to me mad syrian was my favorite deck in first edition and you know crimson order pulls a little bit of inspiration from that deck uh it was in first edition it was revolutionary even for a summoner to heal at all um at that which is what mad syrian and uh baron damar do and uh, it's so fun, like to try to push your luck and get as many advantages out of damaging your summoner, and you know, hoping that you can uh, do something about it. Of course, Rhett does that a little bit too nowadays. So, with the new drop, there will probably be a new tournament, right? Uh, like a Mount Vargrath and Crimson Order release tournament. Yeah, yeah, I think there will be. It's funny because these release tournaments, they. Because competitive players like to practice first, the released decks don't usually um, populate very much. I've wondered about, would there be a format that would be fair that would get people to play them more? But I don't know what that would be. I'll definitely be playing Mountain Vargath <laughs> in the next tournament, for sure. And we we got the inside scoop from our last podcast episode that 
Prophet's going to probably play Mount Vargareth also, so I okay, mean, that's cool. the returning champ. So we might see him <laughs> in the finals again, the Mountain Vargas. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that would be you know that would be one way to do it would be just the finals, just like you throw everything out. If you're in the finals, you're it's a winner take all Mountain Vargas versus Crimson Order game. Just get randomized to which one you get. Yeah. No, I I like how it works, even though I haven't gotten to the final. <laughs> <laughs> I like the I I think the current thing of like you the top three that you picked are the ones that are in there is good for that the best of three. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with the format. Like it it was like a furious like it's pretty hard. It's, it's so many things that I've worked on. It's like you go to try to look for a turnkey solution, and it's like huh, the thing we're doing is just a little bit too different. So like trying to go find just those nine player pools and figuring out the fact that you can split the games up into two weeks and it all sort of works out. Like you don't necessarily have, like you might have both your shadow elves games in one week or whatever, but you'll get, you know, one game against everybody and two games with each of your factions. Like I just had to figure out all of that by hand late one night to, you know, prove to myself that it was possible, but man, that fixed a lot of, problems people had on their survey because it's it happens way more in real life tournaments but when you just lose on a tiebreaker that you had no control over you know it just is like too bad but this yeah the the nine player pools have really uh helped that out i mean i don't think we've ever had to go past um just you know strength of victory in the within the current round you know so yeah, often you'll do like nerfs or buffs for different factions um, for the tournaments. Is that something you're gonna like continue to do? And how do you uh, like come up with those? I usually come up with a list, and then if I were have time to, I'll have Nick get some feedback from playtesters. Uh, it is um, it's a pretty haphazard process, but part of it at all is also it's intended for experimentation, right? So it's like, oh, we tried a couple different starting setups for the Savannah Elves. Okay, now let's try minus one strength for Abua. Uh, and, you know, it, it's like intentionally, it's not It's not like exactly trying to get it perfect every time. It's more like, you know, intentionally trying different things. Um, and yeah, we could work on that process for sure because you know a lot of times I have I end up hearing through the grapevine later like oh actually, you know Salundar's doing really well and oh you know actually uh, we call this Mega Gate with the Sangal. <laughs> like, like we're just like finding it out in a finals. So of course we're not the most abreast of of uh, the meta, but uh, but at the same time. I like that the tournaments are an opportunity to do it, and it's sort of a a, a safe environment since we're not committing anything long term. Like it's like I said, the, the goal doesn't have to be to you know perfect balance or something. I mean, it could be just you know part of it is evaluating you know the ones that are listed, and if you disagree with one of them, then you know that can affect what you pick, and that's really not. It's not quite, you know, it's it's almost a feature, not a bug kind of a thing, or at least you can look at it that way. 
definitely influenced what I've picked a couple times. That's for sure. Uh, the, and... the the one that seems to be the most successful is the uh, the breakers. Um, what's it called? <laughs> blast. Zero cost blast. So we've tried costing a lot of this stuff differently, including the Fallen Kingdom epic and uh, what's it called for unrelenting yeah we made two costs it was like nobody cares if it's cost two (laughs) hardly makes any difference but for but for some reason blast it makes a huge difference and it seems to make um takulu way more funds i had a weird question but it's kind of a like a a a rabbit hole but the question is like can you look at data like more in depth like could you look at something like how often do games end when brub hits the table kind of thing that would require writing a really detailed script okay yeah or like long. brutal force yeah. or whatever yeah so that's like like so it's possible but not something you've done got it it's, okay ex- exactly yeah i've never <laughs> looked in detail i'm not sure how daunting of a task that would be yeah Okay, no, that's fair. Because I'm just curious. Because, because I, because when we were talking about banning stuff, which I was, you know, almost categorically against, because I think when it comes to the the deck building, at least, I want people to be able to to mess around and explore new things, and I think it's far from solved just because so few people have really dove into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if you know. Like, did you notice the names of the decks? Because I named my deck. Please no ban for the. <laughs> I think I did notice that on yours. Yeah. <laughs> well, but I think that I clicked your username, you know, after you signed up. Otherwise, I wouldn't have seen it. I mean, Jexic just wants to free Brub, and that's been his whole mentality for, <laughs> for forever. Yeah, I mean that. That's so, sometimes it, it's hard when you look at the numbers for Brub. It's impressive. Like I, I'm saying, just the the, the ability to statistics. do like twenty damage or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the output that he can that he can do because I think what what did I post on Twitter that one time? It's it's like, like two damage per boost essentially, right? Or per right, reroll, right. and you get you get more rerolls with willpower even. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that seems good. Like we've got our border archer who is an excellent common. I don't think anybody turns their nose up at them, and then they spend. You know, and they're spending a boost once per turn to roll two dice. So, you know, slightly less, but a lot more reliable, I suppose. <laughs> I think you get chain of power. Like, you know, that's the thing I point to is like, you could roll 15 dice with a border archer. So that's true. Oh, that's a good, <laughs> that's actually, that's a really good counterpoint. So that's, <laughs> and, and that's, that's, part of, that's part of Summoner Wars, just not being about, you know, I've never played a two-player game, but uh, like Magic, very in-depth, but like I have played many hundreds of hours of Slay the Spire, and I think it's more like those games in the sense, which is a, a single-player, you know, card game that's a video game. Um, I think it's more like those games in that, look, numbers are numbers, and efficient is efficient, and synergies can make a difference, but good cards are good cards, and yeah, in that's part of what makes Summoner Wars different is that you can't just say like, oh, Brub, Brub's too efficient. Like there's the, the situations you can reach in a game are so wild and different that uh, maybe it's not that simple. I think I stand with uh, 
James here on the fact that I don't think cards should be banned yet, but do you think that's a place that we'll ever get to in like deck building tournaments that cards will be banned, or is that something that you don't want to see? Or I mean, I that's that's that would be an ongoing conversation. <laughs> I mean, if the game, if the pool of players was big enough, it would seem like something like that is inevitable, right? Like. I mean the ga- the games that have millions of players, which we would never have millions of players, but you know, but maybe we can maybe a year from now we could have a thousand, you know, daily players or something. That would be great. Um but you know, those games are just a constant flood of brokenness. Um and uh <laughs> they just need constant repair. It's just inevitable. Um but it would always be an ongoing conversation, you know. I mean if I mean, we did a, I think a whole podcast episode where we discussed the idea of errata and at that time of that recording, Colby was pretty much against it. And now we've done these, I mean, part of that conversation moved, moved his ideas a little bit, but you know, now we've done these card updates. So, uh, you know, even if I told you an answer, who knows if it would be, if it would stand in the long run. Yeah. Your, your guess is as good as mine. But yeah, I, I think it's a good point that like it's not an optimally, it's not a solved sort of set of cards. And, you know, really adding 24 cards, I mean, not to every deck, but <laughs> adding 24 cards to the overall pool every three or four months is, uh, it feels like a lot. I mean, it feels like it 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 can shake things up quite a bit, so... I haven't even really thought about myself. I know Nick always thinks about and even plays some custom deck games now and play testing, but I haven't really thought about the Mar- Mountain Vargath and the uh, and the Crimson Order too much. But Mountain Vargath have that uh, they've got that primal symbol, and there's just a billion fun toys in that symbol. So I'm sure there's some tricks to figure out there. Which means. That James will be playing them. (laughs) (laughs) It it probably is. Is is Brutal Force Primal? Yeah, it must be. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's both. It's 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 Primal and Water. I mean, we we can see Brutal Force for quite some time. (laughs) (laughs) Brutal Force forever. (laughs) It's, It's crazy how just being able to force the summoner is just sort of this absolute... I mean, Brutal Force really seemed weak all the way through release and it's it it, i don't think it's in the top five most important cards within the tundra orcs base deck but like it was correct that nah it doesn't matter because it's one of the those only cards that can force the summoner obviously we had ice ram and it's day in the sun and uh the key to to making it reasonable you know also taking away that summoner force it's it's crazy how people could figure out people like you guys could figure out how to uh exploit that and make and punish people <laughs> for you know having the goal of having their summoner in their back row with uh, law of sanctity in play <laughs> never safe against the cave goblins I tell you what. <laughs> now oh now i think we even said we're speculating about this maybe on the on the stream here and how long did you plan that move for? 
So, honestly, it wasn't too long. There was a couple things I went back and forth with. <laughs> I was really worried, and I know this seems like a weird thing to be worried about, but if I miss that first attack, like flat out 0 for 2 on that clinger, the oh, entire wow. <laughs> turn is just not happening. <laughs> and we, we wouldn't even have noticed it. We wouldn't have been like, oh, all this he could have done. Yeah, it's like a 3% like, yeah, chance or something, right? I yeah, think. I think it's like 5 or 3 or something. But I, I was like, pull back my entire turn after I set it up. And then I was, I was really worried about missing that first one. The other portion that I didn't see like right away was trapping Sarah with Baldo. That took me going back like oh, once man. or twice to get that in place. But most of the brutal force turn, I was like, opened it up, and I was like, oh, this is wonderful. I, I love this. <laughs> well, and that Baldo play, I mean, that was, I mean, that was just as key because. Yeah, because it didn't end right then, right? It it was another turn. So, yeah, that was that was huge. He's yeah, he turned out to be good. So. He's very strong. <laughs> <laughs> he might be top five, top three champs in the game right now. He's a very strong champ. I agree. Very good. Yep, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, it, this just talking about it makes me. I played a lot and got up to. I think not quite diamond, but almost diamond status in season one. And then in season two, I haven't had a chance to play because we've been, uh, we had so much work to do on, on freelancers that just came out. Uh, but it makes me excited to uh, hop back in for season three, probably, probably play a ton of Crimson Order. So are there any other like updates or badge changes or anything coming with season three or? Um, no, like I said, I, I, I think true achievements would be a blast. I know it's what motivates a lot of people in a lot of games, even though it's not what personally motivates me, but I, but I get it. Like I get the fun of doing super weird things um, <laughs> on purpose, but, uh, but yeah, it's, I'm not going to have time. It's, it's mostly going to be the new stuff. Uh, there are some other quality of life, little improvements that I couldn't even name you off the top of my head. They're pretty minor. Uh, because yeah, we it's it's really moving towards those native apps as fast as we can is the priority. So I can already come up with your first uh, real achievement. We'll call it Brubba Dub Dub, and you survived a <laughs> Brub attack. <laughs> survived the Brub attack. <laughs> yeah, survive a Brub attack. Started with six or more boost. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll tell you what. It's I'm very curious. Yeah, I don't know. Some of the upcoming decks will, will be cur- it'll be it'll be interesting to see if those kinds of exploits can be found because these deepwood grokes that we're just wrapping up are you you put as much boost as you want from a unit on their events. They're these potions. I mean, they have an initial cap, but then you have ways where you can add more to them after. And yeah, I can just imagine the nightmares that people will create. <laughs> the one like badge that I would be interested in seeing though is for like just the number one person in every faction or like in the base decks or custom decks, just having like it just could be like another number one, but just something that sets that apart, especially for like the base decks because it's so hard to be number one in the base decks. Right, because what is it right now? Top 10 or top 10%? Top 25 is shown, but there's a badge for top 10. 
and then top 10 percent and top 20 percent yes that's it so like there's some factions where it's harder to get the top 10 percent badge than the top 10 just because there's not that oh. many people between the top 10 and the top 10 percent you know what i mean so that, oh, yeah, yeah, so those yeah. silver badges are a little rarer it seems like but anyway <laughs> i'm just being silly there that's that's hilarious that's hopefully a temporary problem uh yeah i, I mean i i yeah i'd be most curious to to actually do the the, the weirder ones like us you know achieve some weird thing with grub yeah, you can even do it in a single player game. It's fine. It's just you know, it's it's just more for personal fun and enjoyment. So knock somebody three more four or more spaces with brutal force. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> the sagas could have a bunch intertwined and Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, we got we got sagas written. I gotta find time to code those. I've i I've talked about on a stream my idea for like a NFL uh, street style like draft mode where you go in and take turns drafting cards from anything and Ooh. there'd be so much fun stuff we could do. That would be interesting. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it would be like like three summoners and you know eight commons and seven champs or something like that, and you just go back and forth and figure it out that's a that, that was an old like gamecube game nfl street and you would do that and it'd be like yeah. i i would take the last quarterback just to spite you and so now you have to have you a know running back as your quarterback and... yeah yeah or or you picked peyton manning for your quarterback so now he's playing defensive end also on the other <laughs> side <laughs> you couldn't quite do that it's not like you'd have a slinger as a champion but still <laughs> yeah i think some you, kind of draft mode would be neat especially yeah however you would code it I, we really appreciate you coming on we, we don't want to take too much of your time we appreciate everything you've put in today and uh, every day we do appreciate you coming on joe appreciate your time and uh we'll hope to have you on again sometime soon oh yeah anytime hey it's great talking to you guys and uh i guess the other question like where can people find you if you want to be found <laughs> you know uh you can you can look up the plat hat tech and games blog on board game geek uh i'm on blue sky uh for uh, j arthur ellis dot whatever it is dot blue sky dot social um twitter i'm not really or x i'm not really using anymore uh but i do post links to my blog entries on there it's the only thing i'm still posting there so you can find me on twitter at j arthur ellis if you want to find links to those This has been uh, Discard for Magic. We appreciate everybody listening. We'll see you guys in two weeks.